I'd like you to turn in your New Testaments to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. If you're visiting this morning, you just walked in on a series on the nature of faith, what faith looks like. And that is why we're looking at this passage. I will tell you that it is kind of a controversial text because of the words, Jesus couldn't. So let's read the text. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. I remember visiting my dear friend in my middle year in seminary, and my dear friend's mother, uh, who I kind of grew up with, asked a favor of me. So Joseph, I, I want to ask you a favor. She knew I was studying to be a, a minister she said, I would like for you to call my niece. She just had a horrible breakup and things have not been going on in her life and she's just struggling so much. And I think it would encourage her for you to call her. Well, a little backstory: her niece and I used to see one another. And, uh, and it didn't just end just perfect. And uh, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And, you know, Margie was so sweet. And I said, okay, okay. So I headed down to Seagrove Beach where my family was vacationing and, and linked up with everybody. And I, day after day, I, I just kept putting it off. And I said, Lord, I don't want to do this. And finally I thought, okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even call my uh, former uh, person here. And, uh, and children, these were the days before cell phones. Uh, I, I decided I didn't want to make this call in front of everybody in the, in the condominium. So I went down to down the beach to where all the restaurants were, and there was this thing, your parents will have to explain this to you later, a thing called a payphone. And I had something called a phone card. And, uh, and I, of course, got there in the, the payphone, and I dialed all the, how many numbers would a phone card have? You know, I probably had to do it three times, 28 numbers, uh, to save a little money. And the phone rang, and as the phone was ringing, I sat down under the payphone on the, the wall, just sitting there. And uh, she answered the phone, and I said, uh, <clears throat> Hey, uh, this is uh, Joseph Wheat. Silence. <laughs> Why are you calling me? Was the, uh, the question, and it wasn't necessarily an inviting way of answering, uh, asking the question. I said, Well, um, your aunt told me that maybe I could call you and, and see how you're doing. I'm fine, she said. And then she said, and I want you to hear the wording 
they are burned into my memory, the wording of these sentences, I hear you think you're going to be a preacher. Now, a little more sub-story here is we saw each other when I was not a Christian. And neither was she, and she was a whole lot better person than me, so to speak. She said, well, let me tell you something. I don't need for you to try and make me feel guilty. I feel fine about my life. I took a deep breath. I said, well, listen, um, there's some things that have changed in my life since we knew each other. I've come to know God personally through Christ. And she cut me off. And these were her words. And I quote, I want you to know you're not fooling me. I know who you are and you're no preacher. Click dial tone. I sat in stunned silence. It must have been for 20 minutes just, you know, with the phone in my hand. And my, I was wounded by that. But I thought to myself as I was sitting on the ground, I was thinking, thank God that I know you and thank God I'm not seeing her anymore. Love you, Gina. <laughs> but let me tell you, the response that I got from her on the phone that day was not unlike the response that Jesus got in our text when he went back and saw some people that he used to know, and the response basically is this, who do you think you are? I know you, we know you, and we don't need you. Who do you think you are? We know you, and we don't need you. Now you need to understand, Jesus is coming off of this time in his ministry where miracles are flowing out in the midst of this hugely authoritative teaching, meaning that Jesus just didn't get up and just quote rabbis and what rabbis thought about what rabbis said. Jesus would actually say what God meant. And he would just talk right out of his heart. He was the Son of God. And he would just say it and they'd say, whoa, this is not like other preaching. This isn't just quoting commentaries. This is coming with authority, not like the teachers of the law. And so this was happening. The miracles were happening. He had just stilled the Sea of Galilee... He had driven demons out of all these people and to the amazement of folks. And, and folks were being healed left and right, including this woman who had, quote, the issue of blood. She had suffered with this blood disease for decades, and she just touched the hem of his garment. He stopped and said, who touched me? Power went out of me. People were amazed. that You just touched Jesus, and, and you were healed. And then, most impressive of all, the the head of uh, the, um, the synagogue of one of the local towns, Jairus, came to him and said, my daughter's di dying. Jesus went in and looked and took that daughter by the hand, spoke to her, and she was raised from the dead. And then he says, it's time to go home. It's time to go back to my hometown, and this is going to be great. This is gonna All these people I've known since I was a boy... They're going to hear the truth. They're going to see what the, the, what the kingdom of God breaking in now. Behold the kingdom. They're going to be set free. They're going to know what love is. This is going to be great. It wasn't. On the Sabbath, he rose and he began to preach in the synagogue. 
And we find this in uh, Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, as well as Mark. And he began to preach in the synagogue, and they were blown away that this guy that was raised, you know, just right down the road from them uh, could to speak this way. Look at verse 2 of our text. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? And you got to understand, Nazareth, up by the Sea of Galilee, a little, little uh, yes, west of the Sea of Galilee, it's only 20 miles to the place called Capernaum. Capernaum is where Jesus headquartered his ministry. Capernaum is where so many of these miracles took place and and the driving out of demons and, and the teaching. So they had definitely heard of Jesus and his miracles. But this is exactly as he is preaching and they're reacting to his preaching. This is exactly where it goes horribly wrong. Who do you think you are? We know you. We don't need you. Verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. Isn't this the carpenter? I'm going to tell you something. That, they're, they're, going, they're, they're starting to criticize and make fun of Jesus now. This wasn't a comment about the exquisite workmanship of his daddy's craft or the way he used to make whatever he made when he was a carpenter. No, this is emphasizing the low station of these people in that town. We're going to listen. We're going to hear about our souls from a subcontractor. That's as best as I can put it in, in, in modern terminology. Isn't this the subcontractor? It gets worse. Isn't this Mary's son? Well, you read that, you say, well, what's wrong with that? He was Mary's son. I'll tell you what's wrong with it. You never identify a male in Israel by his mother's name. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. James and John, the brothers, were the sons of who? Of Zebedee. It's always the son of a male. They are well aware that Jesus grew up with Joseph and Mary in the house. So why isn't it Jesus the son of Joseph? I'll tell you why, because they're saying, now she's the one who had this child by somebody else, and we don't know who. And didn't he want to divorce her? This is a huge insult. Is this not the son of Mary? Oh my. I mean, this is like the 21st, the, the, excuse me, the first century version of And Your Mama happening right here. We know you. Who do you think you are? We don't need you. Which leads us to the verse about faith. Verse 15. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Does that not jump out at you? He could not do any miracles? The second person of God could not 
do any miracles? I mean, is this about the limit of ability of God the Son? Or is this about the way faith works? And therefore, it was not going, there was not going to be healing under these circumstances. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's B, in case you're wondering. The Son of God has all power. He just raised the dead. Okay, so it's, it's about the way faith works. And, and here it is. When, when it comes to Jesus, and this is very relevant to your life and mine, faith is about need. We know you. Who do you think you are? We don't need you. And faith is about need. They had no need of Jesus. There was no desire for Jesus, no desire for Jesus to do anything. And you know what? That was their choice, and he just went on. I want you to turn to Mark one twenty one. There's two passages that we're going to look at that kind of contrast Nazareth with Capernaum. Mark one twenty one. They were in Capernaum, and you're gonna. I'm gonna read this. And you're gonna go. That sounds just like Mark six one. That sounds just like what what we just read. That's well, because it is just like it, with a big difference. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach, just like Nazareth. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? How do you, have you come to destroy us? This is the demon speaking. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. The demon knows who he is, but the people of Nazareth don't. Jesus said, be quiet. He said sternly, come out of him. And the the evil spirit shook the man violently and he he came out of him with a, a shriek. And the people, verse 27, were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He even gives order to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly through the whole region of Galilee. Now, look at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they told Jesus, she's sick. She has a need. Verse 31, so he went to her, took her by the hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And here's the key verse, verse 32. Listen to this. That evening after sunset... The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many with various diseases, and he also drove out demons. In Capernaum, it's Jesus. We need you. I'm sick. My father's sick. My daughter's sick. I need you. We need you. There's a demon here. We need you. We need your teaching. In Nazareth, we know who you are. Who who do you think you are? And we don't need you. Is there any difference there? Faith, at some level, is about need. That's just the way it works. Now, I'd like for you to go back to our text, Mark 6, 1 through 6, and look at this Sixth verse, after it says he could not do miracles, he did some. He laid hands on people who actually expressed need. It says he laid hands on a few people and healed them. 
In Luke's gospel, it says it didn't do many miracles because he did. Where people had need and need presented itself as faith, he did heal people. But in verse 6, it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. He went back to his hometown and he was astonished, amazed at their lack of faith. There are only two places in the New Testament where it says Jesus was amazed. This is one of them. And do you know where the other one is? Would you like to know? I want you to turn there because you're going to be amazed what it's about. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. And in Luke 7, 1 through 9, he is amazed by the faith. The only two times he was amazed, it was about faith. Luke 7, 1. When Jesus had finished saying all of this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There we are again. Nazareth versus Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master, the centurion, highly valued, was sick and was about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, the Jewish leaders of this town of Capernaum, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Uh, this, this Roman centurion had cashed in the many gods of Rome and he had become a God-fearer. He had become a, a God who believed in the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so much that he, he, he used his money to build the Jewish synagogue in Capernaum. That's why he says, you, he deserves for you to do this. Well, the centurion doesn't think he deserves it. We'll read on. So Jesus went with them, verse 6. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to even come to you to begin with. But you say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, He was amazed. There it is. He was amazed at him. And turning to the Jewish crowd following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I have not found faith like this in all Israel. In Nazareth, you're not worthy to stay here, Jesus. We don't need you. We have got our doctors of theology We have got our seminary-educated people. We know you're a carpenter. We know you didn't go to school beyond what all of our sons went to school. And we frankly don't need a subcontractor coming back in here when we have flourishing, beautiful doctors of theology who can tell us the way it is. When they had doctors of theology, all right, they had synagogue leaders who did not know God and rejected Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, I hadn't seen faith like this Roman centurion in all Israel, he's talking about the leaders. I mean, this kind of is the scandal of it, isn't it? 
Jesus didn't make friends when he said the Roman centurion had more faith than anybody in Israel. It kind of is the scandal of it, isn't it? That, That whoever has need can come. If you're a prostitute and you're just burned out on your life, you can come. If you're a tax collector and you just have gotten to where you just hate yourself along with everybody else hating you and you just don't want to face life anymore, you can go to Jesus. If you're a Roman centurion, an an occupier, you can go to Jesus. You see, remember we were talking earlier in the service that with God, He's the creator of all, the whole universe. He's galactic. He's global. You know, His power is over all the earth. But I'm going to tell you something. With Jesus, it's always personal. And that is why this Jesus thing is so attractive. Because the Most High God came into this world to make contact. And not only to make contact, this is amazing. We're talking about the God who runs the universe to draw us into relationship with us and love us like we have never dreamed that we could ever be loved. We don't even really know exactly what love is. Until we meet Jesus. We have ideas of love and people sing about love all the time. Don't get me wrong. We're made in the image of God and we understand some things about love. But that God would initiate, that we would know God through his initiation is incredible. And I want to tell you something. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you can always go to him. No one's ever been told, no, you've had your 15 times for this week. You're going to have to wait till 8 o'clock on Monday morning when business is open again. You can always go to Jesus. But you know, there are a lot of us who know him. But right now in this sanctuary, I think the the question needs to be asked, do you really need him? I think it's the question under the question. Um, Surely there are are people who don't come to Jesus. and, And they say, look, Jesus doesn't exist. I get along great without Jesus. I don't need God. You know, I I work it. I decide what it is. I make it work. I determine what love is. I try to do this, that, and the other. That's not going to work long term. And that is far less than what God wants to to give people. But, But there are people who are very religious. And, um, you can have all kind of religious ideas. But until you need him and seek him, there's not going to be any contact. And for even for those of us who have come to Jesus and, and we've put our trust in him and, and we have, through the cross and the empty tomb, a relationship with him, let me just ask this question. Right now in your life, do you need Jesus? And don't give me the Sunday school answer. Don't give me the, well, of course I do. Maybe you don't. Um, I hear people all the time say things like this. Because living in a fallen world's hard. And they say, you know, I mean, God's just not moving in my life. I'm just so in the wilderness spiritually. So frustrated as a believer. And I, I don't have one answer for all that for you today. 
because I don't know your heart and my, you know, I know mine don't even know it to the full extent, but, but I will tell you this, that a lot of people don't have Christ working more directly in their lives, not because they don't believe in him, but because they don't need him. We suffer from what I sometimes call Home Depot disease. Kind of a Home Depot spirituality. Oh yeah, man, we've got to trust Jesus to be saved. But I got it from here. And I, you know, and I know what I need. And I know what I need better than God knows what I need. And, and sometimes we, we kind of buy into what the world tells us we need. And not that all these things are wrong. But let me tell you, what the world tells us we need, it's not deep enough and it will not take us very far as well. And it leaves us very empty. But you know, every one of us here, if you've put your trust in Jesus, I want you to think about this. If you really got honest with yourself, are you strong or are you weak? What would you say? You're weak. Are you broken? Or are you just totally good? And, and totally okay all the time. No, it's fallen world, you're broken. We are sinners. And he is always the Savior. And I think one of the reasons that, that there's not that a more of a sense of, of satisfaction and fulfillment in our lives is because we say we know Jesus. I'm not saying we don't, but we don't need Jesus. But remember, with Jesus, it's always personal. And I want you to know, he simply wants more for you than you often want for you. And he wants to give you what he wants to give you so that you can grow into the real thing, so that you can grow deeper into his love. And I'd love for you this week, and trust me, I've had to do it this past week. And and I have found, by the way, that going into middle age, I have found that uh, even though I have drier times spiritually than other times, yes, I do, like you, but I have found as I get older, and maybe some of you who are older than me, I I, I find myself saying a little bit more, you know, I'm not that strong. I I do need you. But I'd like for you to think about how you really do need need him this week. And just go to him, hungry and humble, And he will give you what you really need. When it comes to faith, faith is about need. And need before the face of God carves out places in our lives that God then fills because he loves us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see our need. Only you can help us. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us more than we even know. Thank you that you never turn us away. And God, we pray that we would not only see the need, but express the need. And that just believing that you are who you are, you would fill us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.